welcome back to the Coaches Rising podcast. In this podcast, I'm going to be talking with Vivian Dittmar, and we're going to be talking about transrational ways of knowing. So just let me get my pad. Uh, we're going to be discussing Vivian's work with... Um, exploring transrational thought, transrational ways of knowing, how it's different from rational and pre-rational ways of knowing, and these five disciplines of thought that she sees as being key to accessing transrational thought. We'll talk about what, what happens when you do, and we'll talk about what are some of the things that get in the way of us accessing or what is the work we need to be doing in order to open ourselves up to transrational thought and what struck me about this conversation was again somebody talking about in her own beautiful way some themes which I think we will have heard come up on this podcast recently this uh, need for us to expand where we access ourselves from to open up to these different ways of knowing and something bigger than ourselves and what happens when we do. It's a really good conversation. And Vivian is uh, an author, a practitioner. She has been a coach in the past. Now she focuses on working much more systemically. Uh, She's written books such as The Power of Feelings, Your Inner GPS, which is being translated into English. And she's writing a book that we'll talk about at the end on true prosperity. And so Vivian has also set up the nonprofit Be The Change Foundation for Cultural Change. And she's very passionate about... um, helping us to enact new ways of living together on this planet, Uh, new uh, ways of accessing our innate creativity and collaborative intelligence. All right. So that all being said, if you're not on our mailing list and you want to sign up and be in the loop about things other than this, podcast you can do so by heading to coachesrising.com and scroll down you'll find a sign up box there and as usual i'd just love it if you would share this podcast to get the word out so let's dive in here's the podcast with vivian ditmar so vivian it's great to be with you how's things today it's a wonderful day and i'm really really happy to speak with you joel yeah, me too. I'm really excited to. It's I discovered your work, I'm not sure when, maybe even 18 months, two years ago. And I was really excited about, you're, you're, you're exploring a lot of topics, but today I want to talk to you about uh, transrational thought. And it's it's a, something that's been grabbing a hold of me because I, I, I resonated with the article I read that you wrote about how it feels like we reached the limits of rational thought that was kind of emphasized in the enlightenment era. 
and um, led to a kind of this like championing of the individuated self and um, that we're being invited in these times to kind of expand our bandwidth and embrace different ways of knowing. And so, um, yeah, when I came across your work, you were writing about that. And so um, maybe you could say in the beginning, um, well, maybe what, what, what comes up for you as I say that, before I ask you what transrational thought is, could you say like why you think it's needed in these times? Two things come up. For one, an appreciation for rational thought. Like in these times, it's very clear that rational thought is a very valuable way of approaching reality. And if we just throw that out the window, we end up um, in some very dangerous territory like we've experienced in the past um, year and a half, I would say. And at the same time, like you mentioned, uh, there is a limitation when we approach everything from a purely rational perspective. And many of us, and especially in times of crisis, have experienced the limitation of this, where we, we, we reach points in, in ourselves and our lives where something that we can't even name pops up and, and knows, okay, that's not the whole story. And our rational mind, as beautiful and amazing as it is, is incapable of grasping the whole story. And, and that's when we reach that edge and we just might start to evolve into transrational thought. Hmm. That's what comes up for me. Yeah. I, I'm really glad you said, like, let's also acknowledge the beauty of it, the, the gift that it brings, because it's, yeah, also important not to just throw it out. And you said, like, you, that we saw earlier this year the danger of, not valuing the rationality. Could you say what you meant by, I think you mean like in terms of uh, the pandemic and science and um, yes. things, but yeah. And the whole uh, fake news <laughs> uh, um, conversation that's really led to a lot of people feeling completely lost. And basically I think a lot of people feeling back to where people were before the enlightenment era, where anything could be true. And if somebody said something was true long enough, then uh, in the pre-rational world, to use that term, um, it, it, it could just be as true as anything else. And that's really what's the beauty of em empirical science, obviously, and, and the rational approach is that there are methods to distinguish one truth from another and to validate certain facts. <laughs> and it's important, I feel, to acknowledge that that's a really, really uh, robust way of approaching certain aspects of reality and dealing with certain phenomena, uh, possibly also a virus, yet it's limited because it's not looking at the big picture. And uh, yeah, I, I look forward to exploring that more deeply. Mm -hmm. Also, the distinction between pre-rational and trans-rational thought, which... Um, I feel is a key distinction to make in these times. Let, let's let's go there first. I think I first uh, like Ken Wilber uh, has talked about pre-trans fallacy. Yeah. Um, could you say yeah? Could you flesh out that distinction a bit more? The, mm -hmm. the pre-rational and trans-rational. And I guess that we can talk about what the trans-rational is as well. Yes. 
So there is a couple of distinctions. Uh, one is that the pre-rational uh, tends to be either completely ignorant of the existence of the rational <laughs> or completely um, fail to validate it and acknowledge it and value it. So like I just described, it leads to a, a reality where anything could be true. Um, but there's some other distinctions as well. Uh, the transrational is something that reveals itself to people through experience. So this is where through, for example, a meditative practice for many people or some kind of spiritual practice, we come to experience something greater than the rational mind. And we come to experience, maybe we have moments where we experience firsthand the sacredness of life. And, and we have these moments where we, we know with every fiber of our being, even though we can't put words to it, that life is a miracle, for example. And it's a miracle much greater than we can ever rationally comprehend. Now in the pre-rational, um, we, it's not about direct experience so much. It's much more about dogmas that are dictated by certain authorities, by uh, sacred scriptures, by priests, and dogmas that uh, we are not allowed to question. And they give us a great sense of security. And they're often very simple explanations. And this is important to understand about the pre-rational let me give an example from my own life. I, I was lucky enough to spend parts of my early childhood in a small Balinese village, living in a very traditional setting. Um, and my, my closest friends were just the village kids. Mm. So I got to experience the pre-rational world in all its beauty also. It's completely magical and everything is full of spirits and um, it's a wonderful place. When someone in the village would fall ill, the explanation was very simple. It was always because somebody else had put a curse on them. So it was a simple explanation and it seemed to have a linear logic of cause and effect. And this uh, linear logic was of course like verified by belief, by tradition, by uh, what the culture thinks it knows about cause and effect and disease. Now, of course, if you would uh, then try to verify that rationally with uh, empirical evidence, uh, you would see that this explanation doesn't hold. And then, of course, in the rational, we have the explanation of somebody gets sick because they contracted a virus, which, again, is very linear cause and effect and in a way very simple. So we, we develop a vaccine, we take care of the virus, uh, we teach the immune system how to respond to it, and then the problem is done. But if we move into the transrational, we move to a place where we no longer have these simple answers and we no longer have this linear cause and effect thinking. So whether it's a pseudo cause and effect like the pre-rational or whether it's like an empirical cause and effect like the rational, we move to a place where cause and effect are multidimensional and whatever happens is multi-causal. So, for example, the pandemic, if you come from a transrational perspective, if you really go deeply into it and you listen, you know it's much more than just a virus. It's, you move out of that simplistic picture of, oh, the problem is the virus, and if we take care of that, then we're set. Because you move to a deeper place of understanding and listening 
where you know that this is life talking to us. And this is life giving us feedback. And that's where we move into a much more complex understanding of cause and effect. And only parts of it we're able to even name because the transrational is nonverbal. So I'm trying to name parts of it. For example, there has been empirical research also saying that we're having this pandemic because we're destroying so much natural habitat and we're going into like a previously untouched territory and we're contacting species that we weren't in contact before with before and that's why we have the virus some scientists say that mm. but again that's like one cause and effect that i can say is linear rational but i can never name the whole complexity of what really brings things into being and that's where we are with the transrational Yeah, am, am I managing? Yeah, to, yeah. yeah. It makes total sense. Yeah, and I think that's why. I don't know if it's right to say that it's like of our time, but it seems like the complexity and chaos of the world may be one of the things which is um, highlighting the limits of the rational mind in these days, yes. and why there is such a. Um, or, or maybe I live in a bubble, but at least in my world, there seems to be such an interest and, and passion to access transrational modes of knowing because of the kind of inherent creativity um, uh, and kind of like requisiteness, you know, like they're much more, it seems to have much more intelligence to it than yeah. purely just the rational to, yeah. to kind of respond in these complex times. So Yes, that's exactly what I see in, in myself and in the people around me and in the world that there is, we reach the limitations of the rational approach. We reach a frustration with it. And then there's actually two responses. And we see that a lot. Uh, a lot of people actually fall back in the pre-rational. And they look for very simple answers, like the whole wave of conspiracy theories that we're seeing um, a lot of them are falling back into the pre-rational and having very simple answers for very complex phenomena. And that gives us a false sense of security. And then, of course, I also see a lot of people really pushing or being pushed by life into another consciousness. And this consciousness is really a place, like a larger place in ourselves. I also call it a transpersonal space where we are able to be with this complexity. And that requires a certain training also uh, of the mind. And it requires a certain, um, I call it emotional hygiene, where we've, we've taken care of some of our emotional baggage, mm -hmm. because otherwise we can't be in that place of complexity mm. without going into stories and dramas and... <laughs> Yeah, and then falling back into the pre-rational. Yeah, so it's, right. it's, a, it's, a, it's a challenging place to be, and it's a beautiful place to be. Right. Maybe because uh, I know you have these five disciplines of, of thought. Mm -hmm. Maybe we could name some of those. And I'd love to also highlight or discuss like how that training takes place and why the hygiene is important. You're alluding to that now, but it's like, I guess the question underneath that is like, how do we know when we're tricking ourselves and it's just our rational minds that, that is like, you know, throwing, throwing up something that looks like intuition. 
Yes. And so, so yeah, maybe we like define the, I'll, I'll just see where you take that. We've got the five disciplines of thought yeah. and then this, how do we know and how do we access it? Yeah. Yes. So that's actually one of the reasons why I wrote my book, The Inner GPS, because I saw that a lot of people are going into transrational thought and are already using it. And it's kind of wobbly <laughs> because we're still working it out. And a lot of people lack distinction between different kinds of rational thought. And this is where I came up with this map, which is what I call the inner GPS, where I map out the five disciplines of thought. And one of them is the rational mind, because the rational mind continues to be very important and needs to be integrated into the transrational modes of thought. And then we have uh, three modes of thought that are uh, in a vertical state of consciousness. And there we have, like you already mentioned, the intuition, which comes from the belly. It's also sometimes called like our gut intelligence or what our gut tells us. So it, it evolved from our instincts, uh, yet in a transrational, like it has another um, evolutionary stage. So we reach places of like a transpersonal will. Now, what does that mean? A transpersonal will are those moments when you feel like intuitively called to do something. And it's not like you can personally say, yeah, I really want to do that. Maybe you personally would rather just hang out with your family the whole weekend. But something in you is calling you to go attend a workshop, a ritual, a conference, something. Yeah? And you couldn't say that's me. And that's the transpersonal will. So there is a, a, a will that, that appears in us once we've cleaned up, and we'll talk about that in a moment, um, that is beyond our own personal little wanting. So that's the, the intuition. And the intuition is very important for guiding us moment to moment uh, with very simple stop and go messages. And the intuition, like all the transrational um, disciplines, is very subtle in how it appears and very polite. Mm. So whenever something comes with a big drama, it's not your intuition. <laughs> Those are like immature parts of your personality, uh, emotional baggage um, that, that is creating drama, loves to create drama, and can um, pretend to be intuition like you mentioned. So for me, that was a big clue to understand that transrational thought is subtle, very subtle. It's like a whisper when you have a radio playing in, 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 at full volume, transrational thought is that whisper. Mm. And it's about learning to, to listen to that whisper, to hear that whisper. And like I already mentioned, it's nonverbal, it's abstract. So it's, I, I'm saying stop and go, but it's actually just a feeling of discomfort or ease. Actually, that's how it shows up in, in, in the belly yeah? mm -hmm. in its most simple form. And then we have um, along the vertical, uh, we have coming in from above the inspiration. And while the intuition helps us to decide moment to moment, yes, no, this is mine to do, this isn't mine to do, inspiration is all about receiving information and insights. So this is where we might be pondering a certain question or, or working with a certain problem or 
being really at a loss with a certain situation, what to do with it, or looking for like uh, our next to do, we can learn to open ourselves. And a lot of people are, are working on this too, to open to what comes in from above. And the most effective way of doing that is actually to work on a certain question and to really spend time with it, also with the rational mind. Uh, but then when you notice that uh, you're reaching a point where you're just running in circles, to then pause and let it rest and go do something completely different. And those are then often the moments when suddenly, seemingly out of nowhere, something will appear. It's, it's those, you know, the, the light bulb in the, in the cartoon, suddenly it's, it's that moment. And, and these inspirations have a very different quality. They're non-linear also, and, and they just appear in an instant. And then often it takes, um, it can take months or even years to fully unpack what we received, uh, depending. Sometimes it's got also something little, something small, but it can also be something like a whole book or a whole series of books, like the Harry Potter series is a very famous example. So, so these are two um, disciplines of thought that ideally they complement each other and they also um, keep each other uh, in balance. And then in the middle, we have the heart intelligence, which again is a different kind of intelligence. And it's, it's often confused with intuition, but really the heart, uh, she keeps the knowledge of the more beautiful world our hearts know is possible, to use the words of Charles Eisenstein. She knows what is good and true, and she knows beauty. And we could say that this is where we know ethics in a non-moral sense, in a, um, like a, a, a sense that is beyond your cultural conditioning, but just in a very simple human way, we just know what's right and we know what's good. And, and the mind can, can think about it endlessly and can find tons of arguments this is good and this is right and this is wrong and the heart just knows yeah that's that's her quality mm. so that's that's the vertical consciousness and that's a very different state of consciousness than than we're normally in which tends to be very linear and going back and forth between past and future and cause and effect and should and shouldn't and <laughs> all of that so we've had inspiration heart intelligence intuition and the rational mind and then the fifth discipline of thought is, again, a discipline of thought that goes forward, and that's our intention. And that's really where we are active in aligning ourselves with whatever matters to us. And while the vertical disciplines are receptive, so they're a lot about listening, listening to intuition, listening to inspiration, and listening to the heart, the intention is proactive. And that's where we, again, in a way that is nonverbal, in a way that is abstract, yet in a way that we can sense, we direct our energies towards that which 
we want to contribute to in this life, that which we want to co-create. And this has nothing to do with you having a remote control for the universe, like sometimes suggested. And it has everything to do with aligning our energies, being receptive, listening, and then sending out this arrow of intention. And then again, listening to what our intuition says about it, what our inspiration says about it, what our heart says about it, what our rational mind says about it. So it's kind of a going back and forth between the linear where we manifest, we interact, and the vertical where we receive and we listen. Yeah, Just to, that's yeah, that's beautiful. And I'm, I'm struck by this palpable sense of the the vertical of you know the sensitivity that's being developed to sense the inspiration that's coming through and when you describe the heart again like this sensitivity that it speaks to me of of like what is good and true and beautiful not necessarily for the ego's sake but something much bigger than that and then we're also in touch with that intuition that kind of is this right or not you know like yes or no like and um how that's all then supercharging that sense of intention that there's a deeper um how could i say it like that sense of intention i imagine becomes imbued with a certain power to it because it's it's connected to inspiration the heart and intuition yes and yeah and you know you know what that power is that power is that you start to move or we start to move as an expression of life. We start to move as one with life. And what that means is it's often referred to as synchronicity. And we experience those moments as magical and they are magical and at the same time, they're completely natural and normal. So when you are really connected to what I call the inner order, then it becomes normal. And when the more you are also working with people who are connected to the inner order, it becomes increasingly normal for, for things to just flow one into the other. It's those moments when you set an intention and that intention is aligned with the movement of the whole and then you notice just doors opening in front of you before you even knock, like that kind of thing. Or you get that phone call just when you were thinking about that person or you, you know, all these, these moments yeah. that we've all experienced. And that's what it's all about. And that's powerful. It's very powerful, yet it comes from a place of humility and, and service and surrendering and, um, and stepping aside. Yeah. Be- because it, it's, um, there's some, again, I, I notice in a lot of my clients, there's this impulse towards the, the bigger picture you named it as and, this word soul or transpersonal self, this the word soul has started to come in for me of like, what does life want with us? Mm-hmm. And so this journey of then doing the integrative work, cleaning up so that mm-hmm. I can, in a way, like be receptive, be sensitive and allow that inspiration and intuition to move through me mm-hmm. in service of something. And, and, and how um, I just see that, that's that those words flow and synchronicity 
showing up a lot in, in this day and age as being something people are drawn to. And I think it's part of that bigger picture speaking through us, you know, that we're, um, that we're called to that. And, and, um, I, and the question that comes is like how, because if we look at the world right now and we look at the, what we're faced with, it seems like linear change won't cut it. You know, it's like, uh, like, you know, that we haven't, have we got the time for that? Is it going to work? But when you start to talk about flow and synchronicity and non-linearity in this way, that's where I feel a sense of opportunity that change could happen in ways that we can't imagine. I don't know what you think about that. Yes, that's exactly what I see. And this is why I've dedicated so much time in the past 10 years, 20 years actually, helping people to connect with themselves, to clean up so that they're able to connect with themselves, so that they are able to move as an expression of life, because this is what we need. And then we can begin to move as one because we are one. And this is what is most challenging right now. If we look at the world, even with people who have very good intentions, we're lacking uh, this, this kind of um, like rhythm together. We're lacking the ability to really be in sync and cooperate. So we have all these different ideas of all these different directions we should be taking. <laughs> and we spend a lot of energy struggling about which which way to go <laughs> mm. and a lot of that um, falls away when we shift to another level of consciousness and obviously the more people uh, do shift into another state of being the easier it becomes for others to make that shift and the more natural it becomes and the easier it also is for us to just be there I mean we, we've all experienced this on our journey I'm sure that in the beginning, it's something you pop in and out of. And then with time, like it becomes something, uh, it becomes a place you can, you can really live in and you can own and you can uh, start to live your whole life from that place increasingly. Mm. And, and that goes for the individual and it goes for the collective. So I'm struck by it as you speak how I feel my heart you know, like I feel, I feel my heart open and I feel a sense of inspiration mm. and, you know, that it can show up here now in this conversation too, that, you know, we're not just talking about it as a, as a concept, but actually, you know, we can, I mean, we're going to keep doing that, but also we can invite it in as something that's guiding our connection and, our, and the conversation. Yes. And, the, the question that comes is um, about the emotional hygiene. I, I, mm -hmm. Like I'd love to give people a sense of um, how to practice this and what might get in the way of us, you know, accessing these types of transrational knowing. Yes, because what happens when we try to jump straight into it, often we end up faking it. And I'm sure this is something that we've both experienced because we would like to be there, but we're not. And the reason why we're not there is because we are full of um, baggage, often emotional baggage. And that is both personal and collective. So it's not even just a personal thing. It's not just like you haven't done your homework. It's um, we haven't done our homework. 
Mm. And often we haven't done our homework because we don't know how. We'd very much like to do our homework, but we don't know how. So for me, a lot of this has to do with how we deal with our emotions and uh, how we relate to feelings. And this is something that has been kind of a blind spot, uh, both in the spiritual world, but also in the uh, science uh, community, in research, in even in psychology, like in a lot of different fields, the, the arena of emotions and feelings has been a kind of a taboo and nobody really wanted to go there. And of course, this has changed recently due to the um, neurosciences, especially because finally they could prove that it actually exists. Ha <laughs> ha. Um, but this is why I see uh, this is really what's holding us back. Mm. Mm. So I've spent a lot of time investigating this and I've, spent, I've actually written four books about the subject, one of which is available in English, The Power of Feelings. And what it comes down to is, first of all, uh, we need education on the nature of feelings and their purpose. And we need to understand that all feelings, uh, including the ones that we consider negative, such as anger, fear, sadness, or shame, are uh, good for something and we have them for a reason and they actually want to evolve with us so that's one important piece of information for the mind which it needs in order to navigate the emotional um, realms more competently the second is that we have uh, a distinction that we need to be able to make between what i call feelings and emotions now, feelings is the term that I use for phenomena that arise in the moment in relation to what is right now. So right now I'm looking at you, I feel connected with you, and there's a joy around that. And that's feelings. This is right now me relating to you in this moment. Mm. Emotions are what is also called emotional baggage. Uh, those are feelings from the past that we didn't feel at the time. So they remain with us. And we didn't feel them at the time, uh, often because we were overwhelmed. We were not able to feel them. We were too small to feel them by ourselves. And we were lacking the support to be able to feel them and thereby process them. And this ends up being emotional baggage. So the question is, a lot of people know they have emotional baggage. We know we get triggered. We know, we know all that. But what do we do? Now, the main problem that I see is that many people try to get rid of emotional baggage. We spend a lot of time trying to get rid of it. We, we have all these tricks, techniques, workshops, courses, whatever, <laughs> to get rid of it. But it's not about getting rid of it. Because your emotional baggage is your potential. And it's like your personalized training program for your personal growth. Now, what does that mean? All those feelings that are in your emotional backpack want to be felt. And that's the one thing that we try to avoid. Like we're happy to do whatever, to analyze, to understand, to, you know, purge. <laughs> but we don't want to feel it. That's the last thing we want to do. But what happens when we learn to actually feel and what that means is being fully present and allowing our consciousness to touch the sensation and to even relax into it and to give it space so it can move. Emotion, it wants to move out by itself if we allow it to. 
then there is a, a, like an alchemical process that happens in our system. Did you say and alchemical or chemical? <clears throat> alchemical. Yeah. Yeah. Like alchemy. Yeah. So, so that uh, baggage is transformed into um, higher states of emotional being, such as compassion, such as the ability to truly love, such as trust. And we, our inner space, our ability to be with what is, grows with every challenging feeling that we were able to just stay present with and just feel and, and allow this transformation to happen. And that's a well-kept secret. <laughs> and initially it's very hard for people to find that place because we've worked so hard to stay away from it. And what I really recommend is that we don't do this on our own, but we actually need other people to do that. And a lot of people go like start to go there in therapy or with a coach. And I recommend that people just start to do this as a practice that we start to hold space for each other from the heart, from a compassionate place, and that the other person has an opportunity to go to those dark places, to go to those difficult places. And this is easiest when we're triggered because then we're in touch with those places. And uh, to allow this uh, a chemical process to, to take place. And this is something that, that usually takes a couple of years of, um, I recommend daily practice. It doesn't have to be long, like five or 10 minutes will often do uh, once you, you know how to do it. Um, and, and it needs that practice is my experience. What, what would you say for people to do in that five minutes? To feel. Just to sit and feel. Yeah. To feel, yes, to feel. And, and that takes some practice, like I said. Uh, it, it's, it starts with becoming present, with feeling the body, with feeling the breath, and then really tuning in. And we can start with physical sensations, like often emotions will show up as uh, places in the body that feel tense or even painful. We can start with that and just become very present with that. Uh, or we can start, like I said, with something where we're triggered, when we're emotionally triggered. Uh, we often have intense emotions and we can just start by becoming very present with them and actually feeling them. Because often we'll go into dramas, we'll go into accusing people, we'll go into rationalization, we'll go like projections, you know, you know the whole thing. And those are all strategies not to feel. And becoming fully present and feeling is very, very powerful and very transformative and it's healing. Yeah, so that's what I, uh, I feel is one of the most important uh, tasks of our time, both on an individual level and on a collective level. Yeah, this, this, I wanna just underline everything you said. It's like one of the skills of our time because it's not just, I, I see what you think about this, but it's not just cleaning up by allowing ourselves to feel the emotions that haven't been felt, but we're developing that capacity to um, sensitize ourselves and to um, it's the same capacity that will allow us to kind of conduct the, um, the moment, you know, the, the, both the uncertainty of the moment 
the emergence of the moment, the, um, the kind of evolutionary uh, unfolding of the moment too. And yes. I want to, uh, yeah. What do you think But about that? This is why I say it's your personalized training program. Like don't try to get rid of it. I understand you want to get rid of it because it's heavy. It's uncomfortable. It doesn't feel good. But with that, like you are trying to throw out your personalized training program. And I like to compare it to like going to college and attending course after course, but never sitting for an exam and never getting a degree. <laughs> so like it, it's all there. And all we need to do is really sit with it. And I want to emphasize again, we often, usually we need someone else to sit with us for the yeah. simple reason that our emotional capacity is too small. That's why we didn't feel it in the first place. And the moment someone sits with us, And, and opens their heart, suddenly we are able to feel things that we were unable to feel by ourselves. So that's very important that that's often underestimated. And especially in, in the spiritual scene, I often see people who want to be not just in, generally our culture is very much focused on independence and doing things on our own. And, and I also feel now is the time to reconnect to each other and to realize we need each other and we're social creatures and we need each other also to emotionally uh, heal and we need each other to evolve. And it's beautiful that we need each other and that we can do that for each other. Mm. Be that for each other, actually. Yeah. I, I just know in my own path how um, it's like, as I've, uh, there was just a point where I saw how much my, um, intention to develop myself to spiritually and, and personally was um, in the beginning, like very gross level ways of um, avoiding myself, you know, like I want to get away from this moment and be that person in order to be okay. But how, wow, as, as the years went by, it's like, I, I noticed that impulse on more and more refined levels, you know, that, that there was a lot of just wanting not to, be with myself and what is here and i think i think it's in the coaching industry perhaps also quite a strong like a lot of people come into coaching because they want to develop they want to grow and um but we have to pay attention as coaches to give space to that part of them that feels inadequate and um that is perhaps fueling that desire to grow not fully not the only thing but is a is a part of it and, yeah. and and also where we as coaches are even hired in order to get rid of certain right. things yeah and to bypass certain things and we can uh we do risk making ourselves uh unpopular if we say no actually the point is that we go there together We go to the places that are comfortable and are painful. And of course, that's our task as coaches. We know that. And, um, and sometimes it's very important to name that also. And it's natural. It's, it's very, um, very normal for people to want to get away from it. Uh, I would even say it's, it's kind of instinctual. And yet we've reached a point in our evolution where our avoidance of pain is causing so much suffering that it's actually much um, easier to, to confront the pain, but we don't know that yet. Like we need to experience that. But once, once we've been there and we notice actually pain is just intensity, it's just intensity. 
and I can be with this and I can feel this, it starts to become easier and easier every time. And we start to see how much suffering our avoidance strategies are causing. Mm. It's almost like the, the tantric element of this work, you know, that, yes. um, yeah, it's feel, I, I feel like that's becoming an, an ever more important kind of dimension to spiritual practice, perhaps. Um, where, where do we go from here? Because there's this conversation we're having about the, the emotional integration and hygiene. And um, we could continue that. I imagine there's a lot to say about that. But I also want to make sure we also come back to these, um, how we can work to um, access transrational thought. Yes. What's not being said in this conversation that we need to include is a comes up for me is to name that it's a risky place and initially an uncomfortable place and a vulnerable place. You were mentioning earlier how in this very moment uh, we, we are having an experience of that. And for me, an experience of that when speaking, for instance, can be or has been for many years that I will start a sentence and I will not know how it will end because it is simply speaking happening. And in a similar way, the more we start to uh, give space to our inner GPS to navigate our lives, we can, we can experience a sense of losing control. And that can be a scary and uncomfortable place and, and, and vulnerable because it's, we, we more and more experience places of like, I don't know why I'm doing this, but I know I'm doing this. And then often later, looking back, we understand, oh, this is why I did that. Do, do you know what I'm talking about? Totally, yeah, yeah. So I feel that's important to acknowledge that um, it's not a place of, oh, yeah, now I'm one with life and everything's beautiful and flowing. And it can be that once we're really... Oh, at home there. But that's very different than, than the ego feeling. Oh, now I have it all worked out. And, you know, <laughs> that snug place. Um, I, I, I've seen it from the people also who've really gone deeply into the inner GPS, like the people I, I work with and where I've seen it closely. And I've seen how much it's been about being vulnerable and being uncertain. Uncertain. Yeah, that's important. And being, yeah, in this place of not knowing, actually, not knowing why this is happening and, and letting go of having to know and having to control and at the same time, not uh, giving up the responsibility. Right? Because that's also easy. Like, you know, I'll let life take over and talk to life about it. <laughs> but yeah. it's not that either because you're still responsible. And that's a very interesting place. Because it's about this being an expression of life, living as an expression of life, and at the same time, of course, being a person in some way. And, and people will talk to that person about, hey, why did you do that? Yeah. <laughs> and and, and it's, it's amazing when you, when you start to work with people uh, or, or live with people where you can say, you know what, I don't know. I, I just, 
I had this inspiration in my intuition and I just felt this was the thing to do and we'll see, you know, maybe we'll find out why I did that. And it's an incredible adventure. It's an it makes life very exciting. It makes your relationships very exciting. And, and there's a, a, a very fresh quality about it that I, I just want to bring into the conversation. Mm. Yeah. Well, again, I get that sense as you name it, and perhaps people listening to this do as well. There's a kind of transmission of what you're talking about. So there is a sense of um, that freshness and aliveness and vulnerability too, you know, like like sometimes I'm like tracking the sense of um, opening where there's you know, there's like something, a sense of something moving and um, animating what I'm saying. And then sometimes it's like, you know, there's like a closure and it feels vulnerable. There is uncertainty or uh, a part of me shows up. Like before when I named like, hey, and how, how can it be here now? You know, like, how is it here now? And then, and then I felt this part of me come in where I was like, oh, you know, like, oh, and then, yeah, you're in an interview, you have to say something. So, you know, it's like I'm tracking how that shows up in my own experience. And I think I think this is really important, again, because I know my coaching has been so phenomenally deepened by this sense of um, vulnerability and allowing not to being allowed not to know and um it all being allowed to be there like what i see in my clients when it's like it's okay when there's a part showing up or there's a there's an emotion there and can we we just like drop any change agenda and just allow that to be there like even if they come in and go okay this is the work i want to be doing you know and then you're like oh interesting you know Let, let's Let's go to how you, you see it as work, you know, and like so we start to allow all of that. And then how as they do that, something opens up and how often quite quickly we can move into a space where you just feel it. It's just palpably different. There's something unfolding in that moment. There's something fresh coming through and we both start seeing and saying things we never said before yeah. and there's an there's a kind of art to that practice you know um, but it needs safety i think it needs it needs a lot of safety to to be okay with whatever showing up you know yeah that's the safety that that whatever is there is there that that's the safety it's not the safety of control because you know, i know what i'm doing and i'm in charge and yeah right because just want to, otherwise I've been in communities where you, it's like there's that intention to be in that flow of life, but it becomes a standard. And then suddenly it's like, oh, the part of me that's not there, I, I push it away because yes. that's not allowed here. You know, so I cut you off before, but yeah, I thought that was an important yeah. piece and, and that, that, that's exactly where we were before with this tantric element where every time we try to push something away, uh, including a part that, you know, 
doesn't feel ready to surrender, wants to have control, wants to be in charge, wants to know what's happening. Like whenever we try to push that away, that's actually the moment when um, we disconnect. Yeah. Mm, so, so the other thing that came up uh, as, as we were speaking about this, yes, in coaching, definitely. And I know a lot of coaches uh, experience this something working through them in the moment, spaces opening up through not knowing, through slowing down. And this is where I would like to take it into our life because this is where it needs to go, ultimately, obviously. And there, the element of slowing down is extremely important in these times. And we, we live in times where everything is accelerating so much because our technology is accelerating so much exponentially uh, that there comes a moment when we need to change gear, in my experience. And we need to really have the courage to slow down because that's really where we have these moments when we can shift from linear to vertical and we have these moments that are just eternal and these moments where we connect or we, we experience connection actually. And that's something I, I really emphasize again and again to um, dare to slow down. And what I've seen in my own life, the more I've slowed down, the more effective I have become. So it's not that on a certain level, I'm doing less, I'm doing much less, but what I'm doing is aligned and thereby effective. It's that synchronicity we're talking about, it's that power we're talking about. So I'll do, I'll do little things and they'll have great impact. Whereas before I was doing much more and was having much less impact. And um, this is something I, I just want to encourage people to do, especially in these times, to slow down, to, to take the time to listen in this moment again and again and again. I, I really appreciate that invitation. And could you just say something about, um, you know, I'd love to like zoom in on that moment where there's that small action, but there's, there's impact. Like, like and tie that to your practice do you do you have a practice where you intentionally sit you know perhaps in meditation and and in a way like align yourself vertically uh, with these centers that you talked about and then and then act from there or you know like so i have i have practiced that for many years i have mm. practiced uh, aligning my consciousness in the vertical and that's something i really recommend to do that for me, uh, being a mother of two, my meditative practice has always been the daily life. So I, I just, I, I was a single mom also for many years working. You just don't have, you know, you, you can't afford, I, I don't need to tell you, you're a father, uh, to just sit down and meditate for hours on end. But what you can do is being with your child um, or, or working or whatever, uh, being fully present in that and practicing that alignment and that is to this day that like my, my practice is my life 
Yeah, that's that's how it works for me. For the emotional baggage, I recommend a practice. I feel that's very important. And uh, for like mindfulness practices, I'm a great fan of really bringing it into every moment. And so what, what happens for me, I noticed like the more I shifted into this moment, you could say, uh, the more it happened that like I said before, I would be, I would go to an event not knowing why. I would talk to exactly two people at the event not knowing why. And a year and a half later, there's this huge project that evolved out of those two conversations. And effortlessly, with ease. And, and I've seen that uh, in the past years, like a lot of projects have evolved with such ease and such grace um, because of this um, willingness to slow down, to do less and to be attuned to, to each moment. Okay, what's, what's mine to do right now? And trusting that. And often it's a little thing. I mean, it's always little things actually that lead to big things. <laughs> it's lots of little steps. I think this is, um, I have one more question for you um, as we come to a close. But I just, I'm just struck by, again, this sense of the, the as you mentioned earlier how if more people became attuned to one another and we stopped fighting and, and then we also began to access this kind of intelligence uh an impact you know where it's not that striving and efforting you know where we're trying to make things happen and then it all falls apart or it, you know it takes immense effort but no we suddenly find things unfolding in incredible ways. If that started to happen on a more collective scale, um, how amazing that would be and how, how it's a kind of Trojan horse, what you're saying, you know, like a lot of people when they're like, Oh, I want to be more effective, you know? So this could be a, a Trojan horse in the sense of um, inviting them into this deeper work. Um, and I guess the question I had was like, what's um what's exciting you know what's the inspiration that's coming in for you at the moment and and that could lead us into you telling us more about your work and where we can find out yeah more about what you offer and what you do yes yeah. so i like i mentioned to you in the beginning unfortunately most of my work uh, so far has only been available in german which is my native language and there uh, i'm very excited about my new book coming out in German about true prosperity. And that's where I feel really, really called to invite us into a new definition of prosperity, uh, a non-materialistic non -materialistic definition of prosperity. And um, I feel we, we really, really need that. I see a great poverty in our parts of the world in, in the so-called rich countries, I see a great poverty that is um, not acknowledged enough and not seen enough and not understood enough, although we all sense it and we all suffer from it. Could you just name that? Like, do, I know we don't, uh, just a headline. You know? The poverty or the prosperity? Yeah, the, the, the poverty. poverty. So yeah. the poverty uh, really shows up uh, in a rise uh, in um, psychological problems or even uh, illness. There's a great increase in a lot of uh, rich countries 
which interestingly enough correlates with the uh, inequality that we have in countries. This correlates with the um, psychiatric issues people have. Uh, then the great rise in addictions, uh, yeah. both addictions that are acknowledged and addictions that are considered completely normal. Uh, a whole way of life is uh, very addictive. Uh, and of course that covers an inner sense of emptiness um, that is uh, not the spiritual emptiness that we've been talking about, but it's, it's just a, a complete disconnect. So basically, and, and then we have loneliness is another uh, yeah. symptom. So basically, it's all about uh, loss of connection. We've lost connection to life, to each other, to ourselves, to uh, other species, <laughs> um, to our creativity, uh, to this moment. Like we've lost connection uh, in so many ways. And having spent my, my early parts of my early childhood in a traditional culture where a lot of those connections were still intact, um, that kind of led me on deep, deep inquiry as to, okay, what's wrong? How can we have so many things and be so prosperous on a material level and yet be uh, so poor in a different way? And how can my friends be so poor on a material level relatively um, and yet be so prosperous in another way? <laughs> that was like the guiding question for me for the past mm -hmm. um, almost 40 years. And now that has come uh, to be a book and um, I'm very excited to speak more about this and really um, promote uh, a different understanding of prosperity. And for me, that's about prosperity of time, relationships, creativity, spirituality, and ecology. And in all these arenas, it's about reconnecting. And it's not about um, accumulating anything. We cannot accumulate this, but we can cultivate it. Mm -hmm. So yeah, I wanna... I want to instigate a, a longing for this and, and, and make us understand that we're clinging to a way of life that is not sustainable. We know that. We can't go forward like this. And it's also not in alignment with our true needs or our nature. Yeah. yeah. Beautiful. That's, yeah. Very timely work. Yeah. yeah. That's what I'm Thank working you. on. And where's your, what's your website? Uh, your yeah, website? my website is viviandidmar.com. And there's a small English website and we are working on the book on the inner GPS to be released in English. Uh, if you speak Spanish or Portuguese or Chinese or any of those languages, there are translations out there of uh, different books. And um, we are working on more titles in English and there's so much happening at once that, um, yeah, bear with us. Yeah, sure. We'll put a link to your website on our, on our site as well. Thanks so much. Yeah, I really, uh, really enjoyed this conversation so much. Thank you, Joel. It was wonderful. Mm. Here we are. We're at the end of the podcast. Just a, a heads up again. If you're not on our mailing list and you want to stay in the loop about other things we create, then head to coachesrising.com. Put your name in the sign-up box there. You'll also find some of our other offerings, our online trainings for coaches there. And just want to end by wishing you well. And I'll see you again next time.